Welcome back to Light Shed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. July 28th, 2020. WWE media rights will decline unless ratings improve, initiating neutral. Since the collapse of WWE stock last year, we have waited for the right entry point. In June, we considered that now may be the time. From a financial standpoint, the company has dealt well with the pandemic, managing costs down while fulfilling contractual content obligations. Street estimates appeared too low for 2020, albeit mostly because of those cost savings. In addition, we saw some stabilization in Raw and SmackDown ratings in June and wondered if we could be hitting a ratings bottom. However, as the past few weeks evolved, we realized the timing is simply not right. There are still simply too many critical questions surrounding the company for us to recommend the stock, which is trading at 11.2 times our 2021 OIBDA estimate of $324 million. Chief among these is WWE's creative direction and whether we will ever see a significant rebound in ratings, even in a post-COVID world. WWE's television engagement is more crucial than ever, as we see a potential domestic devaluation in sports rights coming, particularly as WWE's current partners look to rationalize their sports rights portfolios. Also, while aspects of this company's growth strategy remain cloudy, one thing we do know is that Vince McMahon views WWE simply as a content studio for third parties. With all this in mind, another recent ratings dive for Raw and SmackDown gives us trepidation, especially following the ousting of Paul Heyman, the head of Raw Creative. With so little fresh content, let alone sports-slash-live content, we have been surprised WWE ratings have not improved. Now, with the NBA and NHL returning, we fear ratings could take another leg down. Other key questions remain some of which we may not have clarity on until the world normalizes. The first is what happens to the WWE Network. We do not expect a resolution on a transformative deal for a long time. We also would like to understand the company's growth strategy and level of investment, capital allocation, and find comfort with new management. The company hired a new CFO, Christina Salen, a few weeks ago. We are open to once again recommending WWE stock if we see a notable improvement in content slash ratings and have a better understanding of the aforementioned issues. But for now, we assign WWE a neutral rating. WWE's fate rests in Raw and SmackDown. We have spent the better part of the past decade talking about the decline of the domestic MVPD ecosystem and looking for companies which have embraced new distribution platforms, either for direct monetization or marketing, and focused on building direct customer relationships. At the same time, we realized the importance of building passionate global audience. We recommended WWE stock for several years because of their execution against these principles. The company built an incredible global social and digital presence, which became a marketing machine and helped them to discover their own breadth and depth of fandom. 
one of the only companies to build a true DTC relationship with their fans. They also made an accretive shift in launching the WWE Network. Even as that business stalled, the building blocks seemed in place for long-term growth, especially global, and a potential hedge as the MVPD world changed. But at the end of the day, the company eats on its Raw and SmackDown television contracts. The domestic renewals for Raw and SmackDown were a financial game-changer for the company. And the reason the stock crumbled is because international deals did not follow the same trajectory and came in net down for the last round, despite the gaudy social media figures. This is not changing anytime soon. We do not see a clear path to better economics than the TV ecosystem is providing WWE content or for any sports or sports-like content. Perhaps the tech giants will one day get more deeply involved in the arms race for live sports slash live entertainment and participating and precipitate in accretive model change. But more than likely, if they do get involved at all, it would also be to compete for the exact or similar programming that WWE is providing today. In the meantime, we have doubts about traditional cable networks, including the current partner's willingness to pay higher prices in the next round of negotiations. The MVPD ecosystem is in true decline. We estimate 74 to 75 million subscribers at the end of 2020, falling to 60 million at the end of 2022, when WWE will begin negotiations in earnest on its domestic deals. The affiliate base supporting these deals is in trouble. As we specifically examine the current partners, there are questions. Both Fox A and NBCU are committed to the NFL and are going to pay up, which will soak up a lot of available programming dollars. Both knew this at the time they did the current deal. However, neither projected the trajectory of subdeclines. Fox A has already worked to undo some of its sports rights, paying $364 million to get out of its golf deal to save $294 million. Cuts have also hit WWE already in a small way with the cancellation of WWE Backstage on FS1. Additionally, NBCU is gradually stepping away from its pay TV networks where Raw resides. Hopes are that Peacock will become much bigger, but Peacock's content strategy is evolving and it remains unclear how WWE could fit in. WWE must fix its television properties. All of this tells you one thing. The margin for error for WWE content is going to be lower than ever, especially the content on these two shows. The content has not resonated. Ratings have been disappointing essentially since the current deals were inked. Declines in television viewership have been part of the problem, but sports slash live have held up better than the rest of the ecosystem. And one of the reasons the current partners were willing to pay is that WWE itself was holding up much better than the rest of TV. Fox A also fortuitously sold most of its assets to Disney and WWE fit in with its programming strategy. So that helped. COVID-19 has clearly compounded the problem. We absolutely do not want to minimize the impact from COVID. 
WWE is reaction entertainment and no live audience hurts. A look at the ratings across AEW, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown shows all were impacted negatively by the virus. That being said, AEW and NXT ratings have actually been climbing back. In July, AEW was up 11% versus April on average. NXT has notably improved against both March and April in the past two months. Meanwhile, both Raw and SmackDown have taken another leg down in the past month, with Raw down 10% and SmackDown down 8% compared to the prior month, and both down 15% compared to April. Understanding seasonality in the WWE calendar, we looked at the ratings in terms of year-over-year declines. In July, ratings have been down 37% and SmackDown down 6%, even with SmackDown's move to Fox broadcast from the prior year. Of note, Raw viewership has made fresh all-time lows multiple times this summer. Ratings are likely set to decline further as sports returns, especially with the NBA coming back on Thursday night. WWE has had a sustained period with less live competition, and that is coming to an end. COVID or no COVID, creative appears to be at the center of the issues. Vince McMahon has acknowledged things need to change multiple times. However, while there have been short-lived experiments, the content appears to continuously return to a similar formula under his absolute control. McMahon went so far as to hire creative heads for Raw and SmackDown a year ago, with Paul Heyman heading Raw and Eric Bischoff heading SmackDown. Neither are in their roles a year later. Bischoff was fired after four months on the job, and Heyman relieved last month. The role is now consolidated under Bruce Pritchard. One of the largest problems we've identified is an inability to create new superstars. Every era of WWE wrestling has been defined by some key stars at the top. Recent years have been bereft of that star power, with Roman Reigns the closest, but never on that same level. More broadly, there really has been very little younger talent that have broken through at all on their way to replenishing even the middle level of stars in the men's division. This has made the company more susceptible to injuries slaps slash absentees of major stars. Much of the talent withdrawing power is aging, and the big draws for major events have been in bringing back even older wrestlers such as Goldberg and The Undertaker. That is a band-aid, not a long-term strategy. It seemed that McMahon had identified this problem and may be committed to solving it through Raw. On last quarter's earnings call, he spoke about Raw. Quote, Raw has suffered, but not necessarily because of the environment. It's suffered because we bring in a lot of new talent into Raw, and it takes a while to get these new talents over. We no longer have Brock Lesnar, obviously, but we have a new champion and a lot of new performers coming in too at Raw. It takes a while. So that's the reason and how you use those performers in this story or that story, what happens. So with new talent, it's just going to take a while. I'm convinced, though, that Raw's ratings are going to bounce back considerably. End quote. We believe that the strategy with Heyman was to work towards building this talent, even if it took time. 
That seemed like an important change. However, seven weeks later, Heyman was gone. Since that time, Raw's focus has again shifted more heavily to much more established stars. It has not worked. As we mentioned, viewership declines are accelerating again. WWE has a few years before entering back into Raw and SmackDown negotiations. There is time to fix the roster, especially with a development pipeline in NXT. That brand is meant to be more than just a competitor to AEW. A longer-term approach, even if ratings return slowly, is probably the right prescription. Perhaps NXT creative head Paul Levesque could be helpful in helping right the ship. Don't expect to see a network deal soon. The once groundbreaking WWE Network appeared to be the center of the company's long-term growth strategy with George Barrios and Michelle Wilson as co-presidents. WWE was to become a direct-to-consumer, data-focused, vertically integrated company. However, McMahon lost patience as subscribers flattened and the real payoff on the data ambitions was never fully articulated. Seemingly also with the desire to make up for the international rights shortfall, McMahon dramatically shifted direction and put the network, or at least its key PPV content, up for sale. The hope was a, quote, transformative deal would be completed in Q1. Then COVID-19 happened. Frankly, we are torn on the right future for the network. We still believe those companies that can have DTC relationships are far more better off in the current media ecosystem. Admittedly, though, we have grown more skeptical of the network with time. It might just be that WWE doesn't have the DNA to be great at DTC slash grow it far beyond what it is today. The timing of the announcement was curious, though, as WWE was just on the cusp of rolling out the guts of, quote, Network 2.0 later this year. We believe there is low-hanging fruit to increase both subscribers and ARPU, especially with the move to tiered pricing, local language, and the now-established free tier, which appears light on content, but we have heard is producing conversion. Thus, we would like to see Network 2.0 play out before a decision is made to abandon the company's direct-to-consumer. That wish might very well become a reality. The network could be interesting to Disney and Fox A, especially the U.S. rights. Fox A needs an anchor to its digital strategy, and the network would fit well with ESPN+. Both could also use some of the pay-per-view assets on domestic broadcasts, which would increase brand exposure. That being said, we don't know what each would be willing to pay, and we don't think we will see a resolution for a long time, certainly not in 2020. Disney has significant issues with COVID, even if ESPN is stabilizing with the return of sports. TV ad market is far worse than expected pre-COVID, and sub-losses materially worse. Plus, both companies are about to enter serious NFL negotiations that are crucial to the future of their sports programming futures. Finally, WWE content is not performing, and it would make sense for potential partners to wait to see if WWE's content and engagement issues are addressed. International growth is key opportunity.
WWE was early and persistent in its digital ambitions, realizing the power of social slash digital to deepen engagement and serve as a global marketing tool. What was interesting is that 80% of this digital engagement came from abroad. Any ability to close the domestic and international monetization gap could be a significant opportunity. This was not to be the case in the most recent renewals, as cumulatively, international television licensing will be lower in 2020 than 2019. A large part was due to a major reset in the more established UK. However, we have not given up on international. Some stronger WWE markets are growing rapidly with content monetization still with room. We also believe more emerging markets could be more interesting to the digital platforms than the U.S. and even Europe. As such, we are strong proponents of major international investment. A detailed growth slash investment strategy has not been communicated to the street, which is understandable given COVID-19, but helps keep us on the sidelines. When we do hear, international needs to be a heavy priority. We hope to see minimally a realization of the International Academy model plan. Four basic questions for new CFO Christina Salen. Frank Riddick steadied the financial ship for WWE following the departure of longtime CFO Barrios, cutting costs and really limiting the financial impact of COVID-19 on the company. The weight of the company's earnings tied to simply delivering Raw and SmackDown episodes also help. Riddick was just a stopgap, and the company has now hired Christina Salen, who both has CFO experience at Etsy and also was a TMT investor for many years. We know it is harder to make commitments while we are still in COVID. However, we would like her perspective on her role and many longtime financial questions, which we have been waiting to have answered for multiple years while the company went through its television renewal cycle. One, what is your exact role as CFO? Will you have significant input in strategic decision-making slash or fill any of the roles handled by the former co-presidents? Two, what is your view on WWE's cost structure? We have always thought there was room to cut from the cost base, even before the company looks at its investment priorities. Is there room to make some of the recent COVID cuts, not having to do with live audience production, more permanent and or find other SG&A cuts. Three, how much additional capital should be allocated to growth and what are the company's growth priorities? Does this decision center largely on the outcome of strategic alternatives for the network? How involved will you be in setting strategic priorities? Four, what is your view on leverage? Even with investment, the company has medium-term cash flow visibility, and we have always thought it should have at least a turn or two of net leverage. Five, what is your view on capital return? It is not a liberty company, but tied to leverage, the company should be able to support a decent-sized buyback following COVID. Estimates and Valuation We have included summary estimates and valuation metrics below. For those who are listening, please reach out for a hard paper copy 
if you would like our estimates. Our estimates for 2020 and 2021 are above the street, which we believe does not fully appreciate WWE's pandemic cost structure. In reality, the company will likely have higher EBITDA this year than it would have without the pandemic and associated cost cuts. For 2021, we model a return to, quote, normal for the sake of simplicity with no, quote, transformative deal. While that assumption makes our revenue model easy, next year's cost structure is up in the air. WWE will need to decide how much it wants to invest to improve its content and build its future. Given the uncertainty surrounding this company, especially when it comes to its key content, we believe the current 11.2 times multiple on our estimates is appropriate. A rebound in ratings and or a clear path to improve on the issues we have laid out above would make us much more constructive on the stock. See a summary of our estimates and current valuation below. A model is available on request. And again, please reach out if you have not had access to a paper copy or digital copy of this podcast.